It's the Tillcast, episode 544. Reflect on this. And this week, guys, we talk more Everspace 2, Cyberpunk 2077, Final Fantasy, Strangers of Paradise, War Tales, and Dredge. Stay tuned. We got you hooked. Oh. And we're back and awake. It's a Tillcast. It's an M-rated show. I'm Nas. I'm Jason. And it is April 22nd on a Saturday at 7.15 p.m. Central Time. You're going to get about 30 minutes of bullshit. Bullshit. Some games, some news. Um, Jason's been shopping for a truck all, all day. Rusty's doing a bunch of shitty things today. Um, my life is unexciting. Uh, Jason, what's what you been up to? <laughs> well, um, I mean, you kind you kind of hit nose on the head uh, after a bunch of medical stuff with my wife last week, and us not being able to record because of that, and um, we've been um, just uh, um. Uh, you know, just kind of catching up from all of that stuff. Uh, we also uh, uh, won't go into details because technically couldn't, but we basically heard back on on our settlement from a car accident a couple years ago that my wife was in. So we've been uh, we've been looking at a at a uh, new. Uh, a secondary family vehicle uh, for me to have. And then, you know, you start going down the rabbit hole of, well, what's best? Do we get, do we get just a, just a kid hauler or do we get, um, or do we go all in and we, and we get something that will not just haul kids, but maybe something a little bit bigger than my current truck to, also do stuff like get a get a camping trailer be able to pull that um cuz while my truck can pull stuff a lot of camping trailers are that can fit 5 people are a little either a little too close to the max towing capacity of my truck or over it <laughs> so um, or do we, so do we look for something capable of doing that? And we've spent the last several days just pouring through the car market, which is horribly stupid right now. Yeah. Um, oh, show you just, you can't find, um, you you just you can't find a truck or a car uh at at anywhere near what market value was pre-covid right you kind of had the perfect storm between the silicon chip shortage and covid um and the car market still screwed up so um we've just kind of been pouring through stuff which gets frustrating is also boring 
Um, but we got lucky, and I think today we'll we'll know next week for sure. But I think we got lucky today and found a found an old couple with a with a sixteen year old truck, but it's extremely low mileage. Like it's right at fifty thousand. Yeah, a little bit under even. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully we get that deal closed next week, and and I have that. Um, and so today, knowing that we were going to look at that, um, I just uh, was pouring over YouTube and the greater internet, doing all of my research on on this vehicle's model year, etc. The common problems to look for, things like that. Um. Because, you know, it's not like we're buying from a dealership. It's not like there's going to be any kind of warranty or anything. You know, this is buying something as is, and you don't really have any fallback. So, it's just paying cash. Just paying cash. But that also means you pay cash, you'd be done with it. You can choose to put full coverage on it, or you can just put liability on it, baby. That's options. That's true. Um. But it'll be nice speed, have that done and over with, and hopefully we can get a lot of our larger debt off of our heads and be in much better position to do things like, I don't know, actually buy the new games I want, like Jedi Survivor that comes out this week, or next week. Yeah, comes out next week. Yeah, it's coming out. It's coming out pretty damn quick. Um, you know, and doing stuff like that, like hopefully that's all that's all well and good. Um, and then you just look at uh, uh, other than that, basically, I started as I had a little little bit of relaxed time here and there this week. I uh, I went back to with the uh. Uh, new DLSS and and ray tracing updates for Cyberpunk. I went went down a rabbit hole this week, and I installed 140 mods to Cyberpunk, and I started playing again from scratch. Just just a couple of mods. Just a couple. It's only 140. Like, what kind of mods are you adding? Um. So. What I have in here is like uh uh there's one mod where uh where you can make uh uh Johnny Silverhand look like John Wick. Oh, okay, well that makes sense. Totally did that. Um you know, there's a lot of uh uh mods like with uh different just uh base texture improvements like for brick brick buildings actually make the brick more defined um make a lot of the roads look better make the water uh water clear um more dynamic weather you know stuff like that like how does uh, the weather get even more dynamic cuz it's just been a rain fest the last little bit that I've been playing uh so it 
the mod I installed, um, instead of the weather um, uh, changing like two or three times in a in the game's day span, um, it actually has the weather. It actually slows that down, so the weather. Uh, is closer to actual on the game's actual time cycle. So, um, you know, you can have like a, you can have a rainstorm sit over, sit over the city for, for an entire in-game day instead of it just kind of like blowing through, um, where like it's gone by the time you drive to another part of the city or something. Gotcha. Um, some vehicle com a vehicle combat mod specifically, um, to kind of address uh, uh, like police response, how they respond, etc. So instead of them just like spawning on the map right there next to you, whenever you whenever you hit that um that point of uh suspicious or whatever um they'll actually drive in in cars and then like chase you out if you try to outrun them in your car or something oh interesting um so a little bit more like uh like GTA 5 kind of feel to um to police interactions um uh up the uh one mod to like up the uh overall traffic density in the city so like actually more cars out on the street more uh more pedestrians walking through it etc does that make the chases a lot harder it does it's great to each their own. I would disagree. <laughs> that driving already kind of sucks Actually, in that game. It, it doesn't necessarily make them harder from a technical standpoint as much as it's just um, uh, you can't get away from them for like, by like driving really fast for like two city miles, right? Right. Um, uh, you might actually have to pull a few turns at high speed to get away from them, etc. Um, uh, but your wanted level also um, uh, that same mod also makes it a little bit more difficult to for you to get up to those higher wanted levels where it's piling stuff on you. Right, because a lot of times uh, it's just like you accidentally shoot a cop and then all of a sudden you're yeah. wanted. Yeah. And sometimes you could actually, you could accidentally shoot a cop and immediately go from completely neutral to like wanted level three, right? Like one step away from max tech coming down on your ass. Right. So uh it does make it does make those levels a little bit more defined too. 
Um, so on one hand, getting away can be a little bit harder, but on the other hand, you're going to have to work a whole lot harder to get to that point. Um, you're not just going to do it on accident. Um, you know, and then, uh, um, uh, there, there's a few mods out there for, um, like to add even more, uh, side jobs to the game. Uh, so like I specifically installed like a courier mod. Um, so it almost gives you another job. Um, uh, you must a few be, mods. You must be really wanting to play this game longer because I feel like they've already added a lot to the game with, uh, I can't, Edge Runners, or is that what it's called? The yeah. free DLC that added a bunch of different side jobs, basically. Yep. And I found myself like doing nothing but side jobs for longer than I would have thought I would. Like, for whatever reason, this game is just scratching a certain inch I have for like an open world RPG. And we've always, we've been fans of this game for a while, even though it's been broke uh, at times, but you know, got the new 4090. I wanted to try that out recently. You got a card upgrade. So you wanted to try it out. So it was kind of like one of those things where it's like, I might play this. And then I've tried a lot of other things that I'll talk about, but I just, for whatever reason, just kind of got sucked in again. And I am enjoying my time with it. Like, even though I've got some other things to play, like I have been, like I'm going back to this and losing time. Oh, I have to, too. And it's like, so I did, I forgot just how, say what you will about the campaign. And the campaign definitely, you know, still has, still has it, its issues. And like you and I discussed some of this last night is just that, you know, those, those different life paths could have been a little bit more separated, a little bit more separately defined, you know, like. For example, if you were a corpo and, you know, at the beginning of the game, you get fired from Arasaka, well, instead of immediately going into, into working with, uh, um, with Johnny, yet I almost think it would have been better if like you were then like the, the low bottom feeding fish at Militech because Militech sniped you when they learned Arasaka fired you, right? Right. Or something like that. Um, but regardless of that kind of issue, there's a lot of good writing in this story. And I forgot just how much, the side- how impactful points of it are and how much it can suck you in. Like when Johnny's dying in the limo, right? Or, um, uh, that first interaction you have with Silverhand, yeah, like it, you know, early on, it's pretty good. Some of the side quests are really good. I'm looking forward to when I open up the serial killer side quest again because that one was pretty intense, yeah, um, but like a lot of the just. Like what? What build did you go with? Like, what are you focusing on? So I'm 
this time around doing a little bit more of a um stealth brawler so like i'm using this as devastan for the time dilation um uh still went with uh mantis blades instead of the gorilla arms um so is it a melee focused build uh, but more melee focused yeah melee and pistols basically pistols to get me out of real shit interesting um, I did a, I did a netrunner build because the last build I did was like a gorilla arm shotgun build is what I beat it with with a, I guess it doesn't matter, but with a street kid. And then I went back in and I decided I was going to be a nomad and I was going to be somebody who used a lot of quick axe and use a pistol. And I probably should have added stealth in there, but I started banking on crafting so basically, I've got crafting leveled up, which I could level up the like different grenade shit for it, but crafting, um, quick hacks, and pistols. And honestly, it's almost like I could probably bump the game up to extreme difficulty because the quick hacks get really powerful. The what is it called? Yeah. Burnout or whatever. When you've got high level of quick hacks, like I can just. I can just get line of sight, like a hundred feet away of a camera in a building, get into the camera, get into the network, turn off all the cameras, and then just go to town running quick hacks on everybody throughout the entire installation. And then just walk in like I'm just some dude off the street, pick up all the loot, get the quest done, and then walk right back out like nothing happened. Like, yep. it's now the quick crazy. hacks are still a focus for me, even though I'm not doing a full net runner like I did last time. Um, but at least having it there for, um, to be able to turn cameras off, um, for the stealth part of the build, um, and be able to, uh, um, stun or overheat enemies on a quick hack. Well, the, you can, so like even the really powerful like, enemies, you can do the overheat and then synapse burnout. And those two together will kill even a really tough enemy. Now, I'm really early on, I got the the dildo bat thing that you can find. I forgot how I found it. Oh, yeah. It's infinitely upgradable. And it does the DPS on it. So, like, I'm level 30 on my character. My DPS on my dildo bat is at, like, 1,200. And it's a non-lethal weapon. So, it's my – I use that to club cyber psychos to death. And You're then, early in the game and already at level 30? Yeah, I still haven't done hardly any, like parts of the story, but like I haven't completed any of the big core stories. Um, Damn. All I've been doing is just running side quests where I'm at and then upgrading my cybernetics. So like I play it in two ways. All right, I'm listening to a podcast. I'm running around doing the side stories, you know, or the, yeah. the side quest or the pop-up quest for the different... Um, what do they call them? The the you know the the people who throw you side jobs, right? Right. And so just running around doing those until I feel like getting back on the story, and then I get back to the story. But I've, I I do genuinely like the loop of do the little quest, go through the building, rescue somebody, find intel, level an installation, etc. 
And then if I got about an hour to burn or longer, then I'll go ahead and start doing some of the story beats. But yeah, I've gotten like the base story out out of the way for Pan Am and uh, what's the 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 initial gal's name that's the netrunner? Oh, uh, like uh, you mean Julie. Judy? Judy, yeah. So I've done like all of her yeah. her early stuff. I've done all of Pan Am's early stuff, and I've done all of Goro's early stuff up to the parade. Like I stopped at the parade because I knew that was a long quest. Um. But then I've just been going around doing all the Netrunners, you know, all the just basic quests that are around the city. And I, like I've gotten the, what's Delamain, I've gotten all the Delamain quests done. Um, and I've had pretty fun time doing that stuff. And I don't, is the level cap 50? I think so, yeah. So, yeah, like my street cred's at 50. <laughs> my regular level's at 30. Um, but yeah, like I'm trying to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And like I said, the Netrunner build, I don't have enough strength to just like straight force open doors. So that's kind of a bummer, but I got a double jump augment for, or not a double jump, but the huge jump augment for my legs. So I can get up pretty much anywhere. Um, like there's a lot of ways to tackle different things. And I think there's enough things to do in the game to problem solve with the toolkit that you have where, I could go non-lethal, but I don't mind killing foes, like, at all, honestly, unless they're cyber psychos. You get additional rewards for not killing them. So, right. I don't know. I'm just kind of dicking around with that game, and then I jump into it for a little bit and then jump back out, and, like, every time I have a pretty good time. Like, it's pretty solid game, and it it's, you know, I don't know how well optimized it is, but I know that you can run it at, Let's talk about that new setting, path tracing. So path tracing looks on another level with the 4090. So it'll it'll run around 100 FPS with path tracing it, on. With it no does. Dip. So so basically, just to just real quick breakdown for for everybody who's not super technical that doesn't know what level one ray tracing does is it just gives you that light ray, right? And it follows it to the first bat or and it follows it to the end of that streak. That's it. But it does it does add, add ambient light to whatever it's casting. So light. they're not using they're not using fixed lights in a scene, right, with some Correct. rudimentary reflections. Like they reflect the right. light off surfaces of, of wherever that light's directed. Path tracing though. Yep. Path tracing though takes that ray of light and follows it and it actually allows for three bounces of that ray so path tracing in one sense enhances the ambient lighting effect but also at the same time dulls it so you'll find areas of a map um, when you turn path tracing on you'll find that there are areas of maps that were that were much more lit up when you played through the game previously that are now darker because those rays of light aren't just stopping at the end of that first path right that's it it's taking up to three jumps that's an interesting that's an interesting explanation that makes a little bit more sense now that I'm looking at it, but I will tell you like in 
like what is it called little hong kong or whatever um, yeah a japan town i think that's what they call it japan town yeah there are areas like i was walking down a light uh, a walkway and doing one of the goro quests and there's like a street vendor that's like got his kit fired up like making food right and you see the fire bouncing on that walkway then you see all these like little like paper lanterns that are hung up there and then there's like a, a heater on the street that's like glowing coils and you can see the heat waves coming off those coils then all the ambient lighting of all the lanterns it just looked ridiculous and then i was doing another quest where i was in the rain and up on top of a city roof and i'm watching the water reflections of the sky and of all the lights on the top of the roof while looking out in the rain and it just it looked incredible like even the screenshot doesn't do it justice like watching it in motion just it's kind of blown me away um you know it's uh and i'll reflect on this no pun intended um with some other games i've been playing but it's just on another level like it's really on another level it's it's some of the most impressive uses of game engine and graphics that I've ever seen in my entire life. It is. And I mean, they've done a lot of work to CD project red and NVIDIA together have done a lot of work to, to bring it there. Right. Um, this game, I feel like if they'd have released the game in this state, it would have been a no-brainer. Like, people have just been, like, floored, right? Like, I don't know how well it runs on consoles now, but if it had made it a PS5, um, you know, current-gen console, PC-only exclusive, and released it in this state, there would have been no question about this game. Like, it's still got its flaws. It's still an a It's still a pretty decent game in this state. I know there's some issues with the writing and some issues with the initial choices, but the amount... It's really hard to get an open world RPG that does a lot of the things that this game does in that quests happen. So, yeah, the quests need more consequence to them as to what you do. But quests happen without skipping to a cutscene. You know what I mean? Like yeah. The dialogue just starts going. There are no cutscenes in Cyberpunk. It is literally all gameplay. There is no fixed lighting. There is no, like, dressing it up for the scene to make it more immersive, like it's always immersive. You just, it says walk up to person, they start talking, you start dialogue. Like it's. Yeah. It's not like with the, with the Witcher three, where you go up to somebody, you hit talk and enter pseudo cutscene, right? Right. Um, that's just where, that's just where it's at. Um, it the game is once it loads in it's mostly seamless the one thing i did have to do um that i uh that i realized uh after the first time i loaded it up because a long time ago i had moved it to my mass storage drive oh so um, to free up space on the mvme um yeah I um I undid that and I moved it back to the MVME because uh uh 
it, it was just it the loading was so slow off of a regular hard drive <laughs> i can't even imagine putting that on a spinny drive like that has to be on a solid state like i've got an nvme and it still takes about 10 seconds to load between screens when you do the fast travel and that's on an nvme you know what i mean but see, that's the beautiful part about this game, too, that I don't think enough people give enough credit to it for, is there aren't loading screens in this game. You have your initial loading screen when you load up the save, and you have fast screen or fast travel loading screens, and that's it. What Once the game is loaded, the map is open. You don't even have loading screens going into buildings. Yeah. Like with most games. So so just think about the massive amount of resources that this game is loading every time. Yeah, the uh when I was I was reading something recently because, you know, Google listens to me and knows what I'm doing at all times. I was looking at an article from some of the original developers of Cyberpunk. And essentially, one of the developers was saying, like, it was hard to get the same. They broke so much more with the way that they did their quest design. So the, the idea behind the game was everything to always be open all the time, right? No load screens, no cutscenes, etc. And because they couldn't do forced camera angles and render stuff in the background um, for that reason... Um, it broke a lot of the things they're able to do with The Witcher. You'll notice when you go to play The Witcher, right, you go into forced cut scenes of a sort. It's not like a pre – it is a pre-rendered scene, but it's not – it's forced camera angles, right? And because of that, they can play with the assets in a way that make it look even sharper while they're in those forced camera angles because it's pre-rendered, you know? Um you know, they can only they, they can render half a person, right? Like they don't have to worry about you going behind somebody in the middle of dialogue and them following you, etc. Right. Um, and there's so much more of that in Cyberpunk versus The Witcher. Um, but yeah, like in general, like the game technically is pretty ridiculous. Um, and in general, I, I think it got shat on because of the performance issues early on pretty hard when it definitely doesn't deserve it nowadays. I think it's I think it's had a pretty decent redemption arc. Um and I'm having it, I'm having fun with it again. It absolutely has and um you know the one the only thing I wish I could I wish I could get running um that that just won't run on on any of the current patches that I would have to backdate the game pre um path tracing to do is uh there is a mod called let there be flight that basically turns every car into a flying car almost like in back to the future or oh, blade runner that's a little bit crazy um and i so want that to work super bad um and it's just waiting for the for the modder to to update it and as soon as i get and as soon as that happens man oh man that's gonna be sick um i've seen 
I've seen video, plenty of video online of people having that up and running, and that's just that would make that would put a totally different spin on on going through Night City. Just going at it from the air. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I'm. I am not regretting going back into that game at all. I, I just need to be in the mood for it. And it turns out, you know, that um, being super stressed out and everything was just the perfect time to just get in there and fuck around with this game. All right. Well, that brings me to a game that is decidedly not as graphically intense. And that's uh, Final Fantasy Strangers of Paradise. Um, I have a Green Man account, which means that I can get games at a pretty high discount sometimes because I buy a fair chunk of my games in there. What Green Man does is they sell keys, right? And then they buy such a high volume of keys, they're able to sell them at an even further discount from Steam a lot of times. I got it for about $25 all said and done with my XP bonuses or whatever. But anyways... So I bought it looking for a Team Ninja take on a Final Fantasy game. I was looking for something kind of like a Neo, kind of like a, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting. A more action-packed, um, a more action-packed uh, Final Fantasy. And it is. The, the combat's pretty decent. Like, you have to progress through a job in order to get to the next job. So, for instance, I started off Lancer and Mage, um, which eventually I was able to unlock Dragoon. But I think for Dragoon, I had to go Marauder first. So I had to go down through the skill tree of Marauder. So, like, you're always going through a skill tree unlocking new skills to get to, like, a premium class. So, like, right now I'm trying to unlock Seer, which is a mix between Black Mage and White Mage. I'm having a hard time leveling up White Mage because in the level that I'm playing in, there's a lot of things that are activated by magic and not by healing magic. So I've went back to Black Mage. But it being a Team Ninja game, and me and you were talking about this the other day, the uh, level design is not up to par with plenty of uh, Final Fantasy games. Like, it is not even close to the same um, as some of the other games. No, it's a whole lot closer to a Ninja Gaiden or a Dynasty Warriors. It's pretty simplistic, samey, copy-paste level design. And... Part of me is okay with the fact there's a whole lot less talking, and part of me is not because I have no idea what the hell's going on. Um, so let's give you an example. Like you go in and you start your quest. You go talk to the king. He tells you to go kill chaos, and then it gives you a level to start, right? So you start the level. You finish the level. It takes you about 30 or 45 minutes. Then a side mission opens up in the same map, and then you go back through the map again and go kill something. Then it opens up a new level with just a smattering of dialogue and some grunts. And then you go back to that same level again as a side mission to get your gear level up to the same level as what you need for the next thing. And it's all based on your gear level. So it'll say, give you an average gear score. And this is, you know, your average gear score is level 26. The next level is level 28, which is usually just fine. So then you go through that level, the side mission from the one you just did. 
get to your gear score up, then go to the next level that say it like, look, gear score level 34. And it's just rinse and repeat over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And the only good hook about it is the combat is pretty good. Um, as I said, I'm playing a caster and a melee character at the same time. I can get in there and do some do some work with my spear. Um, and then I basically make mana up by doing attacks without a combo, essentially. And then I go back to casting, and then I run out of magic, and I go back up there and whop a few things with my mace as a mage or whop things with my spear as a as a dragoon and then go back and rinse and repeat and and the combat's pretty snappy and pretty fun and that's great but the level design and the character design is lacking pretty severely like this is a C plus tier Final Fantasy game with some really good combat I would say don't buy this at anything other than a sale unless you're incredibly curious about it um, it's not hooking me real hard. I got pretty frustrated with it last night while I was talking to you, Jason, and then I ended up playing Cyberpunk the rest of the night and being like, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. And then I stayed up till one thirty in the morning. I was like, <laughs> that's because I was genuinely getting bored with Final Fantasy Stranger of Paradise. So that game is what it is. Um, I also played um, a game that I do like quite a bit that's an interesting take on the turn-based strategy game called War Tales. War Tales is like a choose-your-own-campaign D&D low-fantasy adventure. And you create some characters, give them some traits, and off they go into the world. And it gives you very little direction initially on what to do. I just kind of figured it out on my own. It started me close to a town. I should back up. There's a couple of different ways to play it. So you can play it starting in regions, or you can play it completely open free roam. And I heard a lot of looking at a lot of different people in Reddit and a different other few other places kind of saying, because I was looking for direction on how to get started. They were saying, play it locked to region because everything, it'll just start you off in a region. You conquer the region essentially, and then you move on to the next region. So that's what I did. And I'm glad I did. Um, it's it's not easy. It's, it's not an easy game at all. Um, it really wants you to think tactically about your battles, and I do appreciate that quite a bit. Your characters, you literally, like the way the game starts off is you go to the town, you go to the inn, you recruit an additional character, you go and you find somebody who's giving some quests to, which are locked to the map, they're not random, at least to my knowledge, it seems, because I started to, I've started another game since. Um... And then you go off and you complete those, and then a story starts to unfold in that area as you get more notoriety with your band of mercenaries to where, like, you know, at the first map I started to get kind of into the intrigue of the Duchess in the area that led to a few different quests and a few different decisions. And it has a lot of choice and consequence from the different decisions you make, which is pretty neat. Um, you run around in a big open world map. Um and then encounter things kind of real time. And then you got to rest. So there's a little bit of a survival element because you still have to provide your characters with materials to repair their armor and food in order to survive. And then each of your characters have different specializations. So besides their class, so for instance, my my tank, which is you, Jason, because I just created characters off the podcast to start and then branched out from there. Um, your your class is a swordsman. And his 
profession is blacksmith, which also gives him plus the constitution. But he's making armor, and everything in this game is very gear-dependent. The levels do help because it unlocks additional abilities for your character, but the gear is a huge stopgap for your team. So, like, playing it, I started again because I realized a couple of big mistakes I made in the first campaign I started. But the idea is go around collecting iron and leather and then teaching your blacksmith new recipes so that he can craft some better weapons to start and then better armor on your characters and then making sure they have enough hit points and armor to soak a few hits in battle. Um, every Your character's special abilities are linked to little points. So those points are shared without the, throughout the entire team, and each, each character has different passives they unlock that generate points for the team. So like one of them might be end your turn outside of combat next to another character. So that means that take my tank, engage the enemy, take a spearman, put him next to the enemy, and since the enemy's already engaged the tank, he now generates one action point that can be used towards a special ability. That special ability by the spearman may be breaking armor, or it could be throwing his spear and inflicting bleed in a big line on a bunch of characters. So, like, there's a lot of different ways you can play the game. Um, there's a lot of tactical thinking in it, like at a perfect level for me where it doesn't, it feels fair, but it feels challenging. Um, there's all sorts of obstacles in the battlefield. It could be a muddy patch in the, in the terrain, which causes characters going through it to slow down. You might have bear traps all around that will, you can kind of get the enemy's attention and then drag them into traps, so to speak. Um, it's very well thought out and a very well done game with a lot of replayability. Um, it's kind of like XCOM meets Battle Brothers, um, to give you an idea. Like there are some like supernatural elements. Like I got it in a fight with what was called a nightmare, which was like a a spectral elk that would scare my people out of combat, which became really troublesome. And then Trent died in that fight because he was also he was a berserker in our group. So then I recruited Trent 2.0, but I couldn't customize him. He just kind of looked like Trent, so he turned into Trent 2.0. Um, and that's generally, I like games where I can create my my friends in the game, essentially. So, um, anywho, um, if you're looking for a strategy RPG, it was on sale at launch for, I think, 25 bucks, which is about what I paid for it. It's not on Green Man. I looked before I got it. Um, War Tales is good. Um, if you're looking for a strategy game that does its own thing, but comes a lot closer to an XCOM in a completely different setting, like War Tiles is exceptionally good. Um, like way better than it's supposed to be way better than it has any right to be. Like, I, I think it's an exceptional game. Um, so until I get to the end of a campaign, like right now it's a solid four and a half. It's a really good game. Um, before I jump into the last game, I was going to, the second to last game, I was, I've got a couple more games. You got any games to talk for, for about before I just jump into a tirade of games for about 30 minutes? Nope. Cyberpunk and it's mods, uh, uh, literally soaked up everything from me. I did have to, I, I was kind of upset day before yesterday because they released a hot fix for, for patch 1.62. 
Um, but I wasn't having any of the issues that the hotfix addressed. So I basically had to spend a gaming night rolling back the patch. Oh, yeah. So my mods would still work. <laughs> yeah, and it's a really big patch. Yeah. It's like well, 50 gigs or something crazy. It took well, like... that's because it changed a lot of the core game files. Yeah, the, so. the patching part of that took like 25 minutes on my PC. And I was like, holy shit, what is going on? But I did, uh, I finished a couple of games and I'll talk about them last. I'm going to talk real briefly about Meet Your Maker. Um, no shame in this because probably one of the reasons that I got into video game podcasting was... Uh, Giant Bomb, old Giant Bomb with uh, Gersman, right? And Gersman has been playing off and on Meet Your Maker on a stream uh, for a couple of months until it released and uh, kind of got interested in that game. So I started playing that. It's it's hard but fair. Basically what Meet Your Maker is is like you need resources to upgrade your gear. The way you get those resources is by raiding bases to get them. And then also getting some of those resources from people dying in your base. So it gives you a, like a resource count that you can use, a trap count, etc. for your base. You buy the plot of land. You start building the base. People go into your base and die and you go and collect resources. You don't lose any resources with that. Um, eventually your base expires and you got to rebuild it again or pay some cash to re-up it essentially or pay some material. But you should, if your base is good enough, you should get back more resources than you put into it. And honestly, it's not incredibly expensive to buy the base. Like it probably about five runs gets you enough resources to build a base um, initially. So I built a base. Um, I've gotten a few kills with my little base that I, I started base. I spent an inordinate amount of time creating it because I like the aesthetics of it. Um, so just creating the weird Temple of Doom that I was creating for other people to navigate was fun. And then going into other player bases, I'm seeing some really good ideas that some people are incorporating into their stuff. Like there's a guy that there's a there's a trap that basically shoots rolling mines, right? And you can only take one hit. Like it's one hit and you're dead. So he does these series of ramp ups and ramp downs, kind of like waves, but like that's the only way, like it goes up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, using a lot of wedges. And what happens to these rolling mines is they get stuck in those wedges. And so as you're running up and down, it's not, you can't move real fast. It's more ground to cover. And then the trap ejects from a point that's hard to see until you've already triggered it. So the only way to go is forward. And then it's like essentially the only way I got around it was by attaching myself to the ceiling opposite of it and then shooting it. And it took me a while to figure that out. I found a lot of really devious ways to use these mines. There's another guy that had these mines in a real long hallway that ended in like a sharp 60-degree um, turn, right? Or not 60. Let's say like a 120-degree turn, right? So like if you're looking at a clock, it would be like at 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock. So, you know. Um, and it shot down that hallway, which is too far. For, like if they touch you, you die. And if, you know. You can't shoot past them forward. You have to go back and then around. And you've got a grappling hook that'll help you go fast, but you can't use it twice in a row fast enough to get away from them. So you basically have to know they're there and shoot as soon as you see the trap. And it's far enough away that it takes you a second to see it. 
and then the mines just barrel at you and then they go around the corner and into the other room and explode, which is just, it was really ingenious. It took me like four attempts to kind of figure that out, which I'm sure he got some material for me dying a lot. But like it's a very it's it's multiplayer in that way. And you can raid bases together and create bases together in a co-op mode. It's just cool. Um, and the maps, you know, depending on how hard they are, how hard players make them right, can take anywhere from like two or three minutes to, you know, 20 minutes worth of tries. But it'll be a good lunch break game for me to like jump in and just jam out for a minute and then go back to work. You know, like it's it's got some good legs on it. I don't know where to rate it yet because I haven't gotten far enough with it. Um, I've probably put about five hours into it so far, though. And I've had fun for all of those five hours. It runs super well. I would say this would run perfectly in 4K on a 2080, to be honest with you. Like it, it's it's really highly optimized. Um. Let's see. I'm going to go to the games I beat. So I beat Everspace 2. I played that very obsessively um, during the time that we've been down. Um, I put... What's the time in this? I want to say I put like 55 or 60 hours into this. Damn. Um, it is a Diablo-esque space shooter game. Everspace 1 is a roguelite. And you go in every run, you try to get to level five, uh, 61.7 hours is what I got in it. But seven of those hours were pre this. So let's say 53 hours is about what my runtime was doing almost 100% of everything. And what you, the first one, you try to get to world five, essentially, right? Um, and then you go to the main base and you try to beat the game and beat the main base, which is really hard. And I still have not done it, but I can, I can get there almost every time now. Um, Everspace 2 is a story-driven RPG that you're in a spaceship and then you go to – you upgrade your parts with new parts with salvage that you get from the ships that you destroy or from the areas you go to. It's got a lot of puzzle-solving elements with these – a lot of different puzzles, honestly, that never really get old. Um, they take new – they introduce you to some puzzle structures and then elaborate on those as the game progresses. You can get radiant quests in the game and just do quests for people to make money, which and levels. Um, the levels cap out at level thirty. Um, and the game is tuned to be beat at level twenty-five. I beat it at level twenty-seven, I think, because I didn't do. You know, I could have done the radiant quest forever if I wanted to, and I just didn't want to. But genuinely speaking, generally speaking, I thought that a lot of the moment-to-moment combat and puzzle solving was pretty fun. And so there's a lot of times that I would just do some of those radiant quests or just go discover a new world and figure out what quests were there. And there would either be like a challenge for figuring out how to unlock a thing or there would be a base to destroy or there would be some new quest chain that would start it every time you discover some new area. Um, in general, it's very arcadey. Um, you can customize your ships quite a bit. Like you can kit out, you can get one body. So there's like, there's an interceptor, there's a sentinel, which is kind of like a ship with a lot of like gadgets. There's a specter, which is kind of like a, a rogue of ships, right? Like you can cloak and then you can get like additional damage if you shoot things from cloak, which means you should be using the rail guns with it and, and just one shot shit. Um, 
you've got like a gunship, which gives you double the amount of firepower with all of your weapons. Um, it, it turns really slow, but like if you get locked onto something, you do some really big damage. It's got a bomber, which basically means all of your secondary weapons, so your missiles, your mines, your rockets or whatever, just use your energy instead of using your ammo, um, which basically turns it into a huge missile boat and it's powerful as shit. Um, like there's a lot of different options in which each of those different ones, you can change out the wings, the cockpit, and the tail. Um, so basically it's just a central body and they've got like 10 options for each. Um, so you can make these ships look pretty different. Then you can customize the paint jobs and add decals and change the color of your engines and your cockpit and a bunch of other stuff. So you can really make your ship your own, um, which I thought was pretty neat. And then you can upgrade your weapons like the first game, right? Like you can kind of create guns or you can get a gun and then up the level or up the rarity of it or add additional characteristics to it, like faster shooting or lower energy usage, etc. And so you get like rolls for loot with secondary characteristics to it. And then you can adapt or change those secondary characteristics with something called Catalyst. So there's a lot of little bits of crafting in there. There's a lot of little bits of lore that go into the game, and there's a lot of dialogue in the game that I didn't expect, which is reasonably acted. It's about a B-level. Way better acted than Strangers of Paradise, I'll say that much. Um, but in general, like it's, a, it's an easy four-and-a-quarter game. Um, best space game out right now, honestly, um, out of everything I've played right now. Like Elite's still kind of broke, not that fun. Um, not what it used to be. Um, Everspace 2 is solid as hell. And then I beat one more game, and this will be the last one I talk about, called Dredge. Dredge is a weird game. Um, Dredge is a game about, and I, I beat it in about 13 hours. Um, it's a game where you are in a fishing boat set in a old god style universe. So like you're in a fishing boat, let's say like the early 19th, 1900s or early 20th century and the time period is like let's say like i don't know the 50s or 60s or something um and your little fishing boat you go out and you catch fish and then you use those fish to buy upgrades for the boat to be better at catching fish initially and then what it turns into is you're scavenging different wrecks you're completing quests for different people on different islands you're running from weird creatures in the deep as you start to look for different items or dredge different old ships. You're running from monsters in the sea. And then it becomes really normal because, like, initially it's pretty fucking spooky and then it just isn't, but it's really neat. Um, and then it ends in a pretty weird finale, but... It's a Cthulhu-themed fishing game where you have to, like, when you catch a fish, and the fishing minigame's really not that hard, um, you have to fit it in your hold, and then it's like Tetris. You have to play Tetris with the shape to get it to fit the right way in your hold, and then you go back and sell it and then go back out. Um, but the whole game is pretty cathartic and pretty evenly paced. I kind of wish there was about four times more content. But... That being said, it's a really solid little game. I don't know. $25 is a steep asking price for it. I think $15 is a perfect price point. At a $15, regardless of the cost, the 
fun I had. It's a it's a four out of five game. Like it's it's a good game. Um, unexpected nice. gem. Um, it is pretty grindy in parts and pretty not grindy. Like at a certain point, when you start off, your ship is slow, so slow it can barely get across the lagoon before it gets night. And once it gets night, like rocks start appearing in the ocean and that will crash your ship. And then if you crash it enough, you sink and then you lose the game. Or, you know, you got to spend money to repair your hull and it gets super foggy. And then there's like shit that's in the deep that reaches up and tries to grab your ship. Like at night, it becomes pretty harrowing. But there's incentives to go out at night to fish. So you have to get a ship that's faster and more maneuverable and has more hull points and has more cargo to do those things. So it's a weird game, man. But Dredge is pretty good. I mean, if if you played it all the way through and came away wishing there was more content, that I think that's about as positive as you can get with it, right? Yeah. So. I just I beat it too fast because I got sucked in. Like initially, it it takes about two hours to get you hooked. No pun intended. But um, it's it's pretty decent. Right? It's pretty decent. Like, once it gets your hooks in you, it, uh, and the, you understand the loop and understand what you're supposed to do and understand that you're looking for these certain treasures. Like, tips I'd give to a new player of that game is initially get yourself more engines because the first engine is so fucking slow. Like, you can go 10 feet and then it's already nighttime. Like, it's, it's unbearably slow. By the end of the game, my ship was so fast, I could sail from one corner of the map to the other corner of the map and not even worry about night because I could go so fast that it wasn't spawning things close enough to me fast enough in order to catch me. Unless I just wasn't paying close enough attention to, like, you you upgrade your lights because initially you have, like, a little broken light that shines, like, four feet in front of your boat, which means you got to go, like, at a crawl if you're fishing at night and then you get caught by things that move much faster than you and, you know, break your ship up. So by the end of that, like, I want to give you a sense of scale. I had like 20 meters of light around me. So like more than five feet, but that's what it felt like initially. I had 1300 meters of light around me by the end of the game. My first engine traveled at 13 meters a second. My last engine drove at 115 meters a second. So like, or something crazy. It was over 100. So it was like 10 times faster, 10 times more light. So I could see around me and see way ahead of me. Like my ship was just like a fucking speedboat by the end of that game. Um, but basically the the way that the game plays out is you go out, you fish, you get, you sell the fish to get you some upgrades, do whatever quests are up there at the initial dock, go to the other dock across the pond, start doing those quests, Open up your dredge so that you can get shit from the wrecks and then start upgrading um, your hull and your engine space and then start upgrading your poles. Like I'd almost say upgrade your engines before you upgrade much of your poles. But your your fishing poles and your nets, like the net never seemed to be as worth it as I wanted it to be. It was always the the upgrades to engines and the fishing poles so that I could get the rarer fish to complete some of the quests made the most sense. But yeah, that game's really strange and pretty damn good. 
Nice. But with that being said, I think I think we need to jump into news here in a second. So do you want to take a break? Yeah, let's take a break and get some of that together. All right, we'll be back. back woo! kind of going through news in general i guess i'm going to go with the quick bits um if you're really really into it dead island 2 is out right now at a 60 or a 70 dollar price point on console and a 60 dollar price point on pc if you don't get the deluxe edition um it is only available in the epic game store so far on pc from all accounts, it is more Dead Island. So if that's what you want to play, then that's what you want to play. I don't know if I want to play that or not. I think I want to finish a game before I play it, and I really want to play this Star Wars game first. So I'm trying to do the responsible thing and not just buy something that's going to sit on my shelf for a month before I get around to it. But I'll get around to it. Everybody here knows I love zombies. Um, just not right now. Um, there's also... Before we get in, you know, Star Wars will come out next week, and me and Jason, I'm sure, will have played parts of that by the time we do next week's show. But um, Forbidden West, um, Burning Shores just came out on the 19th, which was a few days ago. Was that like Thursday or something? Yep. Uh, Wednesday. Wednesday night came out. It looks like it's about 10 to 15 hours worth of content for 20 bucks, which isn't really bad, to be honest with you. And I was looking at the, if that's something you want to do, I got pretty burned out with Horizon playing it and like just, it got to be a chore to me towards the end. So I admitted at the end of our game of the year show that it needed to be up there. Um, I did not enjoy it as much as everybody else did on the show. So I will probably get that if I got nothing else to play. And it's on. It's only twenty bucks. So like, when it gets to a point where I want to play more Horizon, then I'll do it. But right now, I'm good. I'd much, much, much rather be playing as crazy as this sounds, Cyberpunk, The Last of Us, or uh, I don't know any number of games. Honestly, or this new Star Wars game that's coming out that I'm really, really pumped for. Um, you had a couple of bits, and I'll go into some other things. What do you got, Jason? Uh, so, big news this week as far as the gaming world goes. Uh, Sega has officially agreed to buy the Angry Birds developer Rovio Games uh, for $775 million. Um, Are they going to make an Angry Birds 2? Like, Who you, knows? Like, what do you uh, do with that? I mean, it's it is the biggest casual game in the world, probably. It, yeah, and I mean, that series of games has been downloaded millions over millions of times. Um, the uh, Sega basically in the press release said, you know, they're looking to to improve uh, and expand their their. Op- 
their options in the in the mobile gaming market. I mean, they've they've already done um uh things like uh some Sonic the Hedgehog mobile releases, etc. um for tablets and stuff. Um but they're I think this is trying to poise them on the on the focus to match or beat Nintendo Nintendo who you know did like Pokemon Go and Mario Kart Tour things like that. Um I seriously doubt they're really going to um change much with what whatever Rovio is doing now uh rather more expand it. Um also this week uh Nvidia uh basically uh sources out in China are saying that uh the rumor mills are that Nvidia is going to be backing off on uh production and release of the RTX 4070 graphics cards uh due to slow sales um which to be honest isn't really surprising after all of the all of the reviews went up over the last couple weeks uh basically showing that the that the 4070 is an upgrade over say a 3080 or a 3070 Ti only in the fact that it has access to all of the DLSS 3.0 features um but even uh for example in C- Cyberpunk because that's kind of the when you're talking DLSS 3.0 and all of the ray tracing features etc that's kind of the benchmark right it's the game that's going to test everything the most uh all of the reviews you can find on youtube show that even with frame generation turned on um the 4070s performance in cyberpunk uh just really doesn't beat a, a 3080 still um even with even with path tracing on um the yes it does technically beat it but the uh, uh, the additional performance is marginal at best um so realistically it's just not really the the upgrade anybody could really be wanting um you know unless you're still at a 10 series graphics card or or older um in which case it might be but then your best value for your buck might be the upcoming 4060 or 4060 ti right and not a 4070 so uh this news doesn't really surprise surprise me or apparently surprise the rest of the industry at all i think the i think nvidia is going to start seeing that they're quote premium pricing strategy which they originally tried with the 20 series cards um and ended up 
taking a step back when they released the 30 series. The only reason the 30 series price was so inflated was the chip shortage. Um, and, and graphics card shortage just because of COVID, everybody was grabbing them as soon as they were available. Um, uh, I think they'll find that their premium pricing strategy is just not going not going to work. The the quote that Moore's law is dead and silicon costs too much. Yes, yeah, silicon price did go up, but it did go up enough to take a um a seven hundred dollar price jump from a thirty ninety to what a forty ninety costs out the gate. Right. Just the forty ninety is like way overinflated right now. Um in our break, I told you immediately I had some regrets with the amount of money I spent with it. I don't have any regrets from the performance. Uh, <laughs> one thing I did not think of is how much heat that thing throws off when I'm playing an intense game. Oh, dude, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, I thought I was just getting hot, and then I took like a a meat thermometer and noticed that the temperature in my living room when I'm playing Cyberpunk goes up by three degrees. Uh, in my living room. And then I felt the back, like I've got a lot of fans. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I've got 12 fans in there, right? And all of it vents out the back. So it's, you know, positive pressure pushing everything out the back vent. And um, it feels like a heater behind my PC. Like I've definitely got some space between it and the wall. But like it is just blowing air at a pretty rapid pace out the back like it says that it's sitting at like i never converted it to fahrenheit but like under load with path tracing on and really pushing it usually sits around 65 celsius right um and every bit of that is being vented out of the back so like you know that's a hundred and something odd degrees um that's just being shot out the back of that you know what i mean dang that's a lot yeah. Um, let's see what that is to Fahrenheit. 149 degrees. <laughs> it's, just, it's a fucking heater, man. But yeah, it's just blowing that out the back of my case. Um, <laughs> it's so fucking hot. No wonder my living room heats up. Uh, but yeah, um, <laughs> it took me a second to realize it was that hot. Um, yeah. So something else I was reading um, right now, I can very well relate to this. Um, Blizzard is having a lot of difficulty keeping people on the World of Warcraft team right now because of a return to office initiative. Um, there's a lot of people going ahead and putting in their notice to quit because they have to work on site. Um, I don't really understand this now from a creative standpoint. I can understand some of the in-person need. Um, at work, I have I oversee people all over the United States and in some in other countries, right? And it is not hard to be on a video conference call and get everything I need and communicate in every way possible over a video conference call. People talk about like collaborating um, in person is so much better. Like we literally through video conference can draw on stuff or share a document and write on stuff. Or if you wanted to be, you know, you could 
like I've got my uh, rocket book right now. I can shoot things that I drew straight to the screen with my rocket book, right? Like if I need to. But everybody can be on shared documents. Everybody can collaborate on stuff. Like I do tons of working meetings where I'm literally talking about something as I'm working on it with other people in a meeting that's virtual that doesn't require somebody standing over my shoulder at a desk. Like half my day is with me and my peer working together on different problem solving, working real time on documents or on spreadsheets together without physically being in the same location. And the world of video games where you've got all the technology, I know you can't share a document, but you can have shared services or servers, right? And a lot of video game development, to me, even when it, you know, I'm sure that there's some issues, like you could still work on all of this stuff remotely. I'm sitting here thinking like, what if I'm rendering something? I was like, well, you could just like VPN into a machine and render it on the other machine. You know what I mean? Like you could VPN to a machine and work remotely from a VPN at a machine. It, it does cost network load, external network load, which is a cost unto itself. But I don't under I don't understand the reason that people really want to just work next to each other. I've I've seen a lot of stuff lately where different companies are accusing their employees of like doing crazy shit while they're working from home. I will tell you that does happen, but it's also really apparent in people's work when they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Some people are very disciplined and know that in order to be productive, they have to get work done in a timely manner. And if you can be efficient and you can do things from home while you're doing that, I don't care as long as you are doing what I'm asking you to do. You know what I mean? So like, if you can complete your work in a, a very efficient and effective manner, I don't see the reason why you need to return to work just so somebody can see you physically working on stuff. Because I can tell you, people still slack off at work all the time. Um, it's just a whole lot more boring slacking off. Um, but I can tell you working from home, I'd much rather have my dog at my desk. I'd much rather be able to go make lunch on my stove, right? Like I, I, don't, I haven't used an I haven't had to pack a lunch in so long now at this point. Like, it's unreal. Like, I'm going on three years of working from home, and I can't believe I didn't do this sooner. Like, it's one of the best things in the world. I'm not one of those. I'm I'm over quite a few people, but I'm secretly an introvert. So I like me time quite a bit, and I do not understand. There's very little to gain with you being on site. Like, I just... In almost every capacity, there's not a reason with the technology we have today for you to have to be in a building and rent floor space for people to work. You know, if you're working in a factory, I get it. If you're working an office job, it doesn't make any damn sense. Well, or like, for example, with... I'll um, say another thing, too. Like, the whole HR complaints are way down when you're working from home, right? Like... It's really difficult to harass somebody when you're not in a physical space with them. So, like, for HR concerns, it makes things infinitely better. Yeah, I can see that. Um, you know, but, like, for example, where where I work, you do have certain things, like, uh, um, we have to have a site be on site because... Um, uh, what do you physically UL, do? UL requires it. 
Because the company requires it, right? No, because UL requires it. Well, you don't have to say what your industry is. Maybe we can explore yeah. that more offline. But but basically for for our UL licensing purposes, we have to be in a secured facility. Makes sense. Um we record everything that everybody does. Right. Yeah. We have a record of everything that a person touches in regards to any kind of customer data security. So we can see who touched something last. And so that's how we address that concern. It's not like it's exact same as if you had somebody on a site doing something to assist a customer who's not in front of a customer. I'm not going to be looking over their shoulder all day. Right. Um, so it, everything's recorded on who does what to a customer's account, right? Like anything that deals with a credit card or social security number, that's all recorded in a space that can be seen. Well, here's all the people that touched it. So it's going to be one of these people, right? And it'd be the exact same as if I was in an office for somebody who works for, you know, that helps customers out, right? So it doesn't make any damn sense to not have the exact same system in place, which it is, while somebody's working from home. Yes, somebody could write some of that stuff down. I can see if somebody says somebody charged a bunch of stuff to my account, right? Like it's pretty easy to track that stuff down and hold somebody accountable for it, right? And and the employees know that. So, you know, obviously it's an instant fire and it's a lawsuit for the employee that does something crazy like that. But um, uh, yeah. But you know, you know, stealing, stealing. But um long story short, like it's uh in ninety percent of office jobs. I don't see a reason why you have to be in a space with someone else to work on something when you got video conferencing and document sharing and VPN and like you can do all the same things. And and I can wear a sports coat over the top of a band or nerdy T-shirt and shorts all day and keep my office not at 75 degrees like a fucking terrarium like it was at site. And after well, wear, that's have true to wear. for the vast majority of office jobs. Absolutely, I don't have you to wear one hundred percent correct. And I don't have to wear fucking slacks all day in a suit. Like uh, I fucking hate that shit. Um, so like it just it doesn't make any sense. Um, so anywho, long story short, um, I can understand the employees quitting, right? If they have to go back on site, because it also adds, you got travel time too, you know, they're in California. Like, yeah, let me add two hours to my day so I can go into office to work. Right. Let me add 10 hours of travel to my work week. That's, that's what I want to do. 10 hours of my life gone on top of this, on top of whatever overtime they're doing. Right. Like, fuck that. Like eat a bag of dicks, Blizzard. Like you guys are making some dumb decisions. Um, and office space costs money. Like, what are you thinking? Um, yeah, the only, the only thing I can think there, like on the, on the development side, right. Your, um, you can do a virtual whiteboard. You can even draw on a virtual whiteboard on your tablet. And people can see it on your screen, on their screens real time. And then also chime in. Like there's literally no reason to do something on site. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I was going to say is like on development, you know, you might have, um, 
you know, there are certain uh, things that can kind of get in the, that can slow development, like, um, uh, you know, VPN access is not exactly um, being the fastest things on the planet. Um, when your developers have to send files between each other, right? You just do all that. You just do all that in network. You don't have them send it from their personal computer. You just literally remote connect to a a workstation and do it. Mm -hmm. And as long as you have a a, a virtual user or virtual machine set up, like there's like you've got, you've got NVIDIA shield, which renders stuff in real time and sends it real time to your screen. There's no reason for somebody to not be able to do it that way. And then have everything stored centrally on a network that everybody can access. Like I literally can play video games on my phone with an app that VPNs into my PC at home, right? On a normal connection. So like, I don't have the kind of bandwidth they do. And even with shared bandwidth, you're literally talking about all that rendering being done on a local machine while somebody is simply remote connecting and sending commands to that machine, right? Like all of those factors of sending files back and forth would be the exact same as what you would do in an office because it'd be a network. Yeah. It's it's literally just this weird horniness that execs have for people getting on, on site for whatever reason. Like there's there's no reason to like that's my point. The reason that that some people say that is they are worried about what their employees are doing instead of being productive. And like I said, if they do the same quality of work as they did while they were on site, then there shouldn't be any kind of concern there, right? You don't have to. If you expect your employee to do a certain level of work, they produce that level of work while they're not on office. It is the same as if they were in office. It's just you're not standing over their shoulder looking at it. It's a it's a result of management that has not fi- figured out how to inspire trust with the people that work for them to do the quality of work they expect. And if you're a bad leader, then that's what you get, right? Low trust right. with your employees. Sure, but and it also depends on how... Has, you know, I have 71 employees, right? And at yeah. one point, I've had 149. So, like... I've known how to do it and I've been doing all of this since I've been working from home. So like to me, it's a, it's, this is just a stupid management thing. It It's also a question of, you know, how, how well your employees are set up. Right. So, you know, do they have separate office spaces? Are they out of noise, et cetera? Like for, for example, now we're coming up into what is, what could be a very difficult season uh for at least for american workers um when it comes to their work for from home situation because uh summer breaks coming your kids are going to be home um you know so that there there's some of that to think of, think about as it, well whereas in the office it's a controlled environment as far as noise etc it's right? as easy as setting expectations for having the right type of workspace and people that have been working from home long enough know right when they can't have a distracting workspace right so like the company i work for has very simple guidelines as to what your office space should be like from working from home because we all went work from home during the pandemic and it's essentially just you know a quiet noise-free environment that's, you know, kind of separate from everything else that's going on day to day in your home. And that's been pretty easy to achieve for the majority of the people that work here. 
So, and it's very rarely an issue, right? Like I said, when I'm looking at the quality of work that people give to me, when I'm looking at that work, and it's the same as what that would be if it was an office, if not better, because I have good trust of the people that work with me, then it's a totally different ballgame. Like I don't, I trust the people that work for me to do a good job and they do a good job because I trust them to do that, right? I don't go digging in to see if they could have been five minutes faster if they had a slightly less noisy environment or clutter-free environment. I'm not like getting into all of their cameras to visually inspect their oh, workspace yeah, no, every week no or way. doing anything crazy like that, you know? I'm not yeah, being the no police way. on that stuff because the quality of work I'm getting from them is at a, a higher level than what I expect. So anyways, like long story short, like it's – this is a long rant, but it's coming from a place of experience of somebody who's worked in an office environment for 20 years at this point and 14 of those years being at the same company and knowing what it is, what it means to have employees that maybe not always like you but respect you and do what you ask and have good trust with you. and. This just speaks to me of bad management structure. But anyways, I did <laughs> want to I, – I did have one more bit unless you did. Uh, no, we're good. So one of the other things that was just kind of a rant that I wanted to talk about, a, little about, a little bit about is I've been trying to figure out what my issue is with completing games because I've, you know, I've been completing them at a decent clip but not at the clip that maybe I have in the past in the show. And I realize it's a structure for game that's been really popular that I enjoy, but doesn't fit into my lifestyle real well. And I'm, I'm realizing that. And that is the infinite game, right? So like a lot of roguelike games or live service games are essentially infinite games, right? You never get to an end point with a game, say, Darktide, right? Or Vermintide. To me, those are shared experiences with others, and that's usually the only time I'm going to play them. And then you have games like Vampire Survivors, right? Or you have a game like Meet Your Maker. And those games don't really have an end. Like I was even thinking about Seven Days to Die the other day. And I was like, I want to know. I need to I need to beat the games I have in my catalog. I've got a lot of games in my catalog that have an end. But I've got so – I would say 70% of the games that I have in my catalog right now are run-based games. And I just don't know when to end them, you know? I I have a hard time it's almost like analysis paralysis it's like the it's like when you have kids and you give them too many you give them options for breakfast right if you tell your kid you can have eggs you can have captain crunch you can have waffles you can have um breakfast burritos you could have pancakes like it takes them forever to figure out what they want or they want a little bit of everything right and Kind of the same thing happens when you have enough money to buy whatever game you want and then not as much time as you used to have to play said game. So then you have to say, do I finish this before I buy something else or do I take another little piece of the pie and get something else? And I feel like there needs to be less run-based games, but there's so many of them coming out, right? Like Sons of the Forest, another basically a run-based game, right? Um, or The Forest, another run-based game. Every experience is different. It's supposed to be infinitely replayable, so on and so forth. But because you can't beat it and say I completed it, or you got games with crazy bloat, right? Um, the Assassin's Creed franchise comes to mind. Like, those games are so long, right? Like, 
when I was 21, I had enough money to buy a game like that every couple of months, right? And so I had a budget of like five or six games a year, maybe, um, tops, like really tops. And in fact, what I would do is during disbursement, um, which happened beginning of the year, so in December, and it would happen like in August, I would pay my rent for the next six months, and then I'd buy myself five or six games, and that's all I had. And then the rest was budgeted for food and rent. So that's how I budgeted myself. And then I'd work a part-time job doing designing web pages, and that would get me an extra game or beer money or whatever, right? Party money or the occasional concert or the occasional beer night uh, or bar night. So like on a very limited budget, those games are fantastic because it gives you a lot of game to chew through. On a I'm 40, don't have any real kids and have all my bills paid kind of budget pretty easily. Um, and also have kind of limited time. The super big games are kind of daunting to me unless they're really good, right? So Cyberpunk is really good now, so I'm having fun with it, right? Witcher 3, really good, having fun with that. Though I want to beat a game before I beat Witcher, before I beat, you know. Um, so I don't know, like, I think there needs to be a higher caliber of game for run-based games before I dive into it more. And also all the early access stuff. I'm so sick of getting burned out or something on early access only to play it three years later. Like I bought Everspace 2 back in 2021, I think. Played it for seven hours, realized it was a quest-based structure and did not want to dive back in. Um, glad I waited. There was a lot more content than what I played. Um, but had I played most of that, even if they restructured some of the stuff, which they obviously did... I would have been burned out on it because I'd have been doing more of the same. And that's something, you know, like I think run-based games need a better sense of progression and accomplishment in them. And I don't know what the fix for that is. Yeah, that'd be tough. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if you share some of the same thoughts. You seem to stick to games a lot better than I do and complete them. You do, you play less games than I do, but you also complete more games any game you've done, more or less, you're going to complete it. Like, you are very good about that. Yeah, that's because my... So, for me... Um, like, we're two different sides of the ADD spectrum, right? Um, something has to really... Um, uh really work hard to grab your attention your focus and hold it right yeah whereas yeah. whereas me it's more um uh i find that uh um it's certainly about finding the um the game style of game that I'm just kind of feeling in the moment. And then once I, once I get that, um, I tend to drive real hard into it until it 
hyper focus on it until I finish it. Um, you know, then, then again, in those rare times where I can't really find anything that's, that I'm really feeling, I can, um, I can bounce through four or five games until I find that, but it's more about the, not the specific game itself as much as it is the game style. Am I feeling a first person shooter right now? Am I feeling, um, an RPG? Am I feeling, um, a hack and slash? Am I, you know, that, that sort of thing. It's more about the genre. And then once I figure out what genre I'm in the mood for it, you know, I just hyper focus on one of those games. Um, I had to I had to build a list of everything that I had, so I have a games list, and then run the random function in Google Sheets, right? And so I did uh, I did remakes, and then current games that I had in my backlog, and then I divided it by. This is how ridiculous I am. Divided it by um, roguelike and game I can complete. So I had one list that was three things. It was good, uh, or it was a remake, and then the next one was roguelike, and the next one was game I haven't finished. So I ran the randomizer on that, which ended up going back to remake. And then I had my list of remakes that I had, right, with Cyberpunk, Last of Us, um, and The Witcher 3, and uh, Metal Gear, um, The Phantom Pain. And then I ran that list and they hit cyberpunk. And so then I decided to stick to it because that was what the random, the randomness decided for me. Um, and that was how I was able to start. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is pretty good. I'll just keep playing it. Yeah. Yeah. It, but like, like you said, things kind of have to um, work to grab your attention or, or, or you sit there and you bounce, whereas I hyper-focus all the time. Yeah, I, I bounce um, like crazy until something just latches me in. And then once it latches me in, I'm good to just finish it, right? Like, once it's got its hooks in me, Cyberpunk has its hooks in me, I'll pr- I'm not going to commit to this because I'm non-committal with games nowadays. But I think I'll probably have this finished before we get to, uh, you know, the the next, the you know, the Jedi Survivor. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, see, I'll be able to, because I've played it before, I'll be able to stop Cyberpunk to play that. But you best believe I'm going to hyper focus shit out of that game. Yeah. I'm and sure. I'll probably do it more than once before yeah. I'm done with it. And I really appreciate, too, with this next release that our potato faced hero now can put a beard on. Um, very excited for the beard as a as a bearded bearded boy myself. Um, I feel like beards are not as much in games as they should be. Um, so for me, I'm all about the beard. I know some other people have had some thoughts about beards. The beard works in a Jedi world. Uh, Jedi's with beards are cool. Yes, they are. But I don't know. That I, we... I think it makes him look a lot less alien. With a beard, it makes him look a whole lot less generic because let's face it, they picked a pretty generic face for that character. He I needed, mean, he that needed, is the actor's face. 
they gave him that stupid like Padawan haircut too with the weird rat tail thing initially, right? Um, that I think stupid, but um, either way, sorry, actor that is uh, what is his name, Cam? Um, yeah, I forget. Um, your uh, your face is very generic and uninteresting, and I apologize for that. I'm just stating facts. And with the beard, I just remember he was in uh, um. In that one Showtime show, um, with like Robert H Macy, uh, I don't know actors. I barely watch TV. Uh, I know I'll find. Or was it Stars? It was Stars. Anyway, he was on one of those shows, and my wife, like, super got into it. I wasn't. Um, but it it's just, it's one of those things. He has a very, um, he has a very generic face, but he also has a face that can kind of uh, uh, make him look... Uh, derpy <laughs> in the right poses um and i feel like some of what they did uh did with that character in the first one did not help him with that at all but i mean the second one looks good so far my fingers are super crossed um the actor was Cameron Monaghan. That's who it is. He was on Shameless. That was the show. Shameless. We'll have to talk about it offline. I don't. I really don't remember him. But I didn't watch Shameless. My ex watched it like crazy, and I just didn't care for that show because it was so I, dysfunctional. Dis, dysfunctional dramedies like just make me cringe. Like I don't, <laughs> right? I don't understand why to watch dysfunctional family. Yeah, I don't either. I'm with, I'm with you on that one. But yeah, I think, uh, I think that's about all we can say. Hopefully, hopefully it's good. Um, you know, we'll get, we'll, we'll get there in, in the next couple weeks and. See how it is. All right. Well, Jason, where can you find us? Find us at tiltcast.com. Find us on Facebook and twitter.com slash tiltcast. Our YouTube channel is youtube.com slash real tiltcast and search for us on iTunes and Spotify. Subscribe. Find friends the show you got for the love of gaming. You've got noquarters.net, picking up the pixels or pupcast with Musum in Boston. You've got bmfcast.com and tvgp.tv. They like RPGs as well. And with that, it's the end of the show. All right. Peace.